Welcome to GMT, the podcast for globally-minded law firm leaders with your hosts Robert Bada, Principal of Warwick Place Legal, and Murray Coffey, Principal of M. Coffee. Between them, Rob and Murray have about three quarters of a century's experience working with some of the most notable law firms on the planet. This podcast is designed to help those law firm leaders tasked with growth make great decisions about whether and how to implement cross-border expansion for their firms and what it takes to succeed. And now, Rob Bada. Hi, Murray. We're back uh, for the second uh, session of our podcast. That's great to see you. Great to be with great you again. Great to see you. Absolutely. And this time we're going to be talking about uh, ALSPs or alternative legal services providers and what they mean for the legal profession. We're not going to uh, have a tremendous number of uh, predictions or talk about a lot of philosophy, but just about how it all fits into what's happening with the legal industry around the world. Uh, many ALSPs have been on the market for a long time now. They've shown extraordinary growth. And um, I think that it's time, if people have not paid attention to them, it's time for law firms to pay much more attention. Of course, many are because they have their own captive ALSPs. Um, the one thing that I would like to say, and then I'm going to turn it over to you, Murray, mm -hmm. is that I gave, a, I gave a, a lecture to the Israel Bar Association about five years ago or so. And at that point, ALSPs were an $8.4 billion business. Mm -hmm. Today, they're $21 billion business. So that, that's a, more than a 45% increase in terms of uh, 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 compounded annual uh, growth rate. And that really does mean something. Um, it's also true that, that uh, law firms own some of their ALSPs. These captives, as they're known, they've increased 6%, not 6%, six times over the past five years. So it's something to think about and pay attention to. Yeah. And and uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll add before we start, we're both, we are both broadcasting from the great state of Texas uh, on this uh, particular. This, uh, I'm in Dallas and, and Rob is in beautiful Austin, uh, Texas on this sunny day. February. Um, yeah, Rob, I mean, the, the, I think you know, this started out as a conversation between you and I about the news a couple of weeks back about sort of one of the first mover or one of the early movers in the ALSP world, Axiom, uh, starting up their own law firm. They're actually, they're actually creating their own law firm in Arizona. Arizona, as you know, is one of the jurisdictions that has set aside ABA Rule 5.4, which has uh, historically mandated that ownership of law firms, uh, law firms cannot, cannot be non-attorney ownership of law firms or participation in the profits. Um, and uh, Arizona has set that aside. A couple of other jurisdictions are, are looking at it uh, and, uh, and experimenting with it. And uh, certainly we've seen it in the, in the cross-border context, which I know you're going to talk about kind of what, what that ALSP, what the ENY, PwC, KPMG um, legal departments, sort of what those look like um, in terms of competition, but Axiom's formed Axiom Advising Council in Arizona. They're focusing on um, some, you know, some some really strong areas of the law, areas of the law that that um, require a great deal of efficiency and also require uh, a significant amount of, of of people power to to you know get these get these pushed over the uh, over the uh, finish line. Uh, and so, 
Uh, it is an interesting development. We'll see what happens. Uh, they have plenty of resources, both in terms of funding and in terms of capabilities that they're going to be able to apply to this. Then we'll see where it goes. Uh, it just started. You know, they've got a they've, they're 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 growing quickly as all these ALSPs are, and um, and I think it's going to be an interesting development for the uh, law firms as they're looking at this as as competition. And as you said, we've got some firms that have captive ALSPs. Uh, and uh, we've all, we're also seeing strategic partnerships. Um, but I think that I think that, you know, where we've seen some of this, some of this, al these alternatives to law firms, if you will, uh, pop up have been in initially early on in the global context, and we're still seeing that. So maybe you can talk a little bit about where, what your experience has been, Rob, with seeing some of these, this in the, the global context and what it's done to the competition and, and all. Murray, I, I think it would be interesting also for everybody's understanding, just to understand really what these ALSPs do, because mm -hmm. at this point, as sophisticated as some of them are, they're not just a replication of a law firm. Correct. Right? They, 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 they bring a certain capability, which is case management uh, and, and uh, a legal process and so forth. So when we talk about Axiom, for example, starting up a, a law firm, that's a little bit different from the from the classic ALSP. Can you give a little bit more, put, put a little bit more flesh on what ALSPs actually do in, in terms of their function? They're not the ones that do enormous um, no. mergers and acquisitions, although they do handle much of, if you will, the back office part of that. Yeah, there's there's a they they participate pretty in in some cases in a fairly robust way in due diligence uh, in the M and A's uh, context. Um, they also are you know, they also are uh, um, in some ways a, a sort of a legal outsourcing uh, uh, opportunity. So if you, for example, you have a a senior member of your 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 in house staff who is going out on on leave of some kind, FMLA leave or or a medical leave of some kind. Um, they can they will they're very quick to be able to to you know, slot people in they're also looking they're also able to sort of build up a quickly build up a, a a team on a on a given project and then reduce the numbers quickly after that particular initiative or project is over um and you know they're what they're what they're doing is leveraging quite a bit of technology uh quite a bit of process management as as you stated earlier rob and they're, they, are, they are also providing the um, attorneys and paraprofessionals who are working with them with highly flexible uh, work arrangements. Sometimes it's fully remote, sometimes it's on site, sometimes it's at you know, an Axiom or you know, one of the ALSP's offices, but it's very flexible. Um, we've, seen, we've seen also that it's a, been a place where people who have left the active practice and want to rejoin uh, are are finding that as a as a pathway into rejoining the practice or just as a as a true new career path. So they're offering some interesting alternatives both for the clients and for the practitioners. And I think in many ways they've also woken up a certain part of the legal profession. Uh, part of it is kind of what you said, the outsourcing, uh, the, the kind of lawyer on demand services. And there was actually one called Lawyers on Demand, LOD. Mm -hmm which was owned by the old Berwyn Leighton Paisner firm. Uh, but after their merger with Brian Cave, um, they sold it off. And I think that LOD is now functioning as a separate uh, service. I think they also, and this is interesting from an international point of view, 
they also have, I think, promoted the growth of the so-called distributed law firm, which is like the Fisher mm -hmm. Broyles's of, right. of the U.S. or the um, or Group W or a Keystone Law in the U.K., where lawyers who don't really want to be part of a firm basically get a hot desk and are able to sell their services separately. And then, you know, there's an aggregator involved who gets a part of the fees. But I think that the growth of those kinds of practices was accelerated by the existence of ALSPs, which also perform some of these kinds of lawyer on demand services. I think that internationally, it's interesting because certainly you look at the UK uh, having started with the 2007 Legal Services Act, it is, is definitely the most liberal jurisdiction in the world in terms of permitting outside ownership uh, of law firms. And that goes hand in hand in many ways with uh, ALSPs, which are not necessarily owned by lawyers or run by lawyers, um, necessarily performing legal services or or being owned or or buying into law firms right. and then you're seeing a great deal of that internationally not so much here in the united states and in my home state of new york the the state bar has adamantly uh refused to consider anything like that and uh and they're they're sort of on uh, aba rule 5.4 uh to the to the 10th power um not interested in um, in in too much progress in that. Yeah, I got to keep that keep that garden walled, well walled. Yes, indeed. Uh, so th the interesting thing about ASLPs also is you know how they fit in with uh, other challenges to the legal profession, which is as you said earlier, the big four. Uh, the big four, interestingly enough, um, I saw this in a in a recent report. They are the slowest growers of ALSPs. Um, so the the captive ALSPs of the big four have only grown by about uh, five percent in the past five years. Mm -hmm. Part of that is also because the the big four do perform all kinds of risk advisory and other kind of consulting services. So it's a mix. Um, but it is quite interesting that. Uh, uh, in a survey that uh, Altman Weil did a little while ago, uh, it was shown that most law firms and big four, I should say most law firms feel that ALSPs or the big four are not taking a lot of business away from them. So only about fewer than 10% of the respondents felt that business was being taken away. But when you ask them, do you see them as a threat? Right. Nearly sixty percent of the respondents said yes, we do. So yep. I think it's real, <laughs> and I think it's going to be real here too. The, the the numbers, as we know in 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 the profession, sometimes are a little are a little slippery, right? And so, um, yes. if if only ten percent are saying, well, they're taking work away, but gosh, fifty percent are saying that they're that they're a threat. I I wager that there's probably so, there's probably a little more we need to read into those numbers. But um, but I think you're you're absolutely right, and we've seen we've already seen you know. That that in in certain very restricted contexts, PwC and Deloitte have created you know strategic alliances. I think PwC was with Fragman, and uh, Deloitte has an alliance with Barry Appleman Layden, and you know, those are those are immigration firms. They're very specific, they have a very specific, very sort of narrow cast, if you will, of of what they're what they of what they do and what they bring to the market and their strategic relationships. But nonetheless, 
um, they have a very strong, uh, very strong relationship with uh, with those those larger organizations. So I think we're we're seeing them nibble a little bit, at, you know, around the edges. Um, so it's something sure. that something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I think certainly as far as the states are concerned, but elsewhere too, some mm -hmm. of the strategy has been to take mature practices with declining profits. And, right. and that really characterizes immigration to some extent, some labor too, labor and employment. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's where they've been reaching out. But then in other jurisdictions outside of the US, you look at ENY has been very, very active in, in Latin America. KPMG just uh, brought in um, my friends at Zico Law, which uh, uh, is was a, a regional firm based in Southeast Asia, offices in Singapore, Indonesia, the Philippines, uh, Vietnam, all over the place. Right. Um, and and that not only helps the KPMG uh, ability to put forth legal services, it also takes a regional firm and puts it on a global stage. So you can see that that's a win-win for both sides. And and, and that was yeah. a tremendous, that's more than 250 lawyers in that acquisition. Um, uh, I don't think that that's going to be happening too much in Europe just yet. Um, Deloitte clearly has announced that in the UK, they expect to double or triple their in-house legal function. And that's going to mean, I'm sure, some mergers or, or large group moves. Uh, but but the bottom line is that ALSPs, whether in a fledgling form uh, uh, competing with law firms in the U.S. or in a very uh, distinctly aggressive and assertive form uh, competing internationally, are a force to be reckoned with. Absolutely. And they're going beyond simply data management or lawyers on demand. So for example, the, the Vincent Mason's firm uh, recently brought in a, a provider that is a diversity, a, a DEI expert. Um, and they have now set up basically a department within Vincent Mason's that advises on DEI issues, but hmm. having brought in this risk advisory consulting firm that's also a kind of ALSP. So, so you're beginning to see those kinds of things. The other thing that you're starting to see is what, what, you, what you need for ALSPs is kind of a practice management and financial systems background. Many of them don't provide that. So there's a whole other industry that's growing. I just came across a wonderful uh, outfit in, in the Netherlands called IT Factor, which provides yeah. a dashboard. Um, to track profits on revenue. So I, I think that what we're looking at internationally and in the U.S. is a kind of a, a web of new industries within the legal industry that will continue to sort of try to encircle traditional legal practice. And it's something to look out for and take into account in strategic planning. Yeah, but you know, it's not all doom and gloom, as we know. I mean, I I believe that law firms do have some distinct advantages, and there's some advantages that the ALSPs and the big four all all provide. You know, kind of one neck to ring, a variety of services, full cycle, et cetera, et cetera. I've heard those the, the way that they're they've been pitching their services. Um, but you know, law firms do have do have a, a way to to compete and to be aware, and you know, they've got to be aware that that's one of the. That's one of the, the issues is to make sure that that they are aware that the competition is out there. And uh, and, you know, I think that, um, you know, law firms spend 
a lot of time and you know, I've been on the, on the pre preparation side and, and, and uh, development side of hundreds of RFP responses in my career. And you know, law firms still to this day are leaning more into things like pedigree and features of the law firms rather than you know, the benefits and the process that they can bring to the, to the table. And that's a, you know, that is something that has to change and is changing with many firms. They are starting to look at, at you know, how they are benefiting their clients. Um, also, I think that secondments are, could be a huge value add for firms. Yes. Um, and when they do those, those, they have to be very mindful about the secondments. Send your best folks. I know there's a risk that they might, that they might not return, but you know what? That's okay. If they don't return, they're generally speaking going to stay at that perch that they're in. But make sure that when they're there, you're, you're being very, um, very definitive about why that person is there. They're there to serve the client. They're there to develop relationships. And the firm should be supporting them in that. And I think that that's Absolutely. a and, fantastic and, way. And that, I think, raises an interesting question because you know, we, we want to relate this discussion to the DNA of this podcast, mm -hmm. um, right. which I think, I think it relates very well. But I wonder if you could just say a few things before we run out of time about how you see the marketing department and the in-house, the, in, yeah. the the law firm in-house executives role in terms of, if you will, educating law firm management about, on the one hand, yes, the threat and the, and the challenge, but on the other hand, the opportunity and and the importance of working with or potentially developing their own captive AS, ALSPs. Yeah, I, I think that that's an excellent point. You know, the 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 folks who are in my shoes, uh, many of them have uh, some of them, many of them have JDs or advanced degrees in in uh, business or or, or marketing, um, and they spend uh, a significant amount of time analyzing markets. Um, I've been analyzing this AL, ALSP market for over a decade, and um, and I think that that being able to turn to your your in-house professionals and say to help me understand what's going on out of the marketplace um, more than just what you're going to hear from American lawyer or maybe law 360, which are great sources, but they're not the only ones out there. Sure. Um, there is, there is a whole, there's a whole world of, of research uh, and, and market research that can be done. Um, I also think that, that the pricing professionals, the practice management professionals should all be part of this discussion because um, they will, they, they, they are also understanding what's going on out there. There's, there's, Groups that are looking at nothing but operations. You know, the clock, clock is a great example. The the operations group. It's an international operations group. We've got professionals from all over the world getting together, talking about what's going on in house, outside, with other ALSPs as well. Um, and so there's a lot of intelligence that that's going on out there. And I think that we can also encourage our firms to take a yes and approach to to this. We you know not not be fearful if you hear that your client is talking about bringing in an ALSP to to be part of the be part of the overall service mix on an initiative or a, or a case or a deal, um, and make sure that you're pointing out you know that how you can work with them together and where your team is bringing in the in the value, not in a defensive way, but just in a very positive way, and finding ways to work with the ALSPs. Um, sure, that's it's, it's not a zero sum game. It's not. No, it's the, not. Not at all. Again, is the law firm's loss or the other way around? And I think it's also true that uh, there's also room here for the outside consultant to, mm -hmm. to work with the marketing people, to work with in-house people, but also to, to be aware as certainly I've tried to educate myself on 
what's out there because it also creates opportunities for law firms, for growth, for greater efficiency, and of course, for greater profitability, which is what my clients are looking for and that uh, you know, we, we, we hope to deliver. So I think that that's a, that's a great uh, topic for us to sign off on. And um, uh, I hope that uh, was helpful for our listeners. Well, we can't stop yet, Rob. We Uh-oh. still have Bada's best bet, oh, which dear. which is which is still my favorite part of all of our all of our opportunities that we get to get to be online together. So, uh, what is Bada's best bet? Well, there should right be a little now, echo behind me. <laughs> <laughs> right now, uh, of course, there are many interesting areas, uh, and you know, the last podcast I talked about Southeast Asia and particularly Singapore. To me. Uh, what's interesting right now is it, this isn't world beating, but uh, it's popped up and I think it's beginning to show up on people's screens. And that's the Middle East and in mm-hmm. particular Saudi Arabia. Yeah, mm-hmm. We've seen some mm-hmm. uh, 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 movement there. It sounds like it, at least it was reported that Kirkland and Ellis is looking to set up there just to give a little background. Um the uh, Saudi government uh, has has somewhat liberalized the role of foreign lawyers and what they can do. Uh, they are now able to form either either have a branch office or they can have a, an actual practice there where they can practice Saudi law. There are certain requirements, but this is all new. And of course, all of this is on the back of the Saudi Vision 2030 project, where they hope to. Uh, generate a tremendous amount of foreign investment to kind of wean themselves off a little bit of the uh, commodities-based economy, and they've actually been doing a pretty good uh, uh, a pretty good job of that. I'll just say very briefly that the plan was um, to to go from say what in when, when this whole thing started, uh, Vision Twenty Thirty, um, they had about forty three billion dollars worth of foreign direct investment that was not related to oil uh, coming into the country. The goal is to get to a little over a hundred billion and they're already um, at um, at uh, considerably more than at, at considerably more than they started out at their 267 billion. So wow. it's working and I think it's going to attract investment and uh, obviously there are certain glitches and issues to think about there. but I do think Saudi Arabia is kind of hot. And because of that, the rest of the Gulf will be too. And as Abu Dhabi and, and Dubai will continue to attract uh, interest. So that's if, that's my bet for now. If anybody out there has questions about uh, about how to get into those markets, please give Mr. Bada a call. So uh, <laughs> thank you everybody for tuning in. And uh, if you have any questions, thoughts, ideas that you'd like to hear us address uh, on this podcast, we're all ears. Um, and Rob, as always, great to great to see you, and 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 thanks again for for uh, for coming up with the great idea to to put this podcast together. Uh, likewise, uh, it's a it's a joint project, and a real pleasure to work with you, Murray. Uh, goodbye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye.